I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. In today's edition, we celebrate autumn. We're going to have a look at plants that bring a splash of colour as the nights draw in. And we're discussing delicious ideas for warming harvest recipes. Plus, we have an appeal for listeners to help our science teams with a survey. It's about every gardener's favourite visitor, the slug. Now, from plot to plate. As those of us who grow fruit and vegetables know, it can be tricky to keep coming up with interesting ideas for how to use the more abundant crops. There's really only so much apple crumble a person can eat. The chefs at Hyde Hall in Essex work closely with the team on the ground in the Global Growth Vegetable Garden, conjuring up mouth-watering recipes from their harvests to serve in the restaurant. We spoke to the team in the gardens and the kitchen to hear about how the crops have performed this year and to get inspiration for some delicious seasonal dishes that we can try at home. My name's Matt Oliver. I'm a horticulturist here at RHS Garden Hyde Hall and it's my job to run and maintain, manage the global growth veg garden and produce produce for the kitchen, really. I'm James Curtis, the head chef here at Hyde Hall, and our aim really is to produce for our customer uh, and use as much produce from the global growth vegetable garden as possible. For those who don't know about the global growth garden, it's circular in shape and it's divided into four quarters and each quarter of the garden represents a different continent area of the world. And the whole point of the garden is we're growing edible plants in the continent area in which they originate from. So the whole point of the garden is very educational. To go down there, see real basic examples, see potatoes growing in South America, and then you know straight away that that's where they come from. Um, and a lot of people are from, they were from Ireland or something like that. So our starting point is educational, but we do set it out and grow crops and lay it out in a way to to harvest, to make it as productive as we possibly can be. Um, And at the moment, coming into the autumn season, got lots of things like, uh, I suppose, all the pumpkins and squashes coming towards the end of the summer glasshouse crops, so tomatoes and that still, still finishing up. Lots of beans as well, but we grow about... 350, 400 different species of plants, so it's a very varied garden. 
me and Matt will sit down um, before I uh, start writing my menu for that season. Um, we'll look at the produce that's available um, and then sort of build our recipes around that. We try where we can at least put one or two ingredients from the Global Growth Garden into several of our dishes on the menu. Got a slow roast ox cheek with a pumpkin puree. Pumpkins are going to come from the Global Growth Vegetable Garden. Artichoke crisps, which again are coming from the Global Growth, and that's with pickled blackberries and a beef stew, is one of the dishes. We've also got a red wine poached quince and goat's cheese filo dish. The quince is, we're going to get a few from the Global Growth, aren't we, Matt? A few, yeah. Um, and that's served with autumn leaves, which are coming from the Global Growth, and caramel salted walnuts. And then we've also got a chicken on croup, and we're going to be getting some of the leeks from the garden for that dish. More and more people are aware of the produce that they're using and the, and the food that they're putting into their bodies. People are a lot more interested now with you know buying organic and knowing sort of from start to finish the process of growing prepping and cooking ingredients. Yeah, I think so. I think obviously the Grow Your Own movement has seen a resurgence in the last 10, 15, maybe pushing 20 years now. Even in the area in terms of people with small gardens, not much space, just window sills, small back garden stuff. I think that's where the biggest growth is in terms of people just, even if they haven't got a lot of room, they want to do something, even if it's really simple. So, yeah, I think more people are interested in growing their own. And I suppose a lot of what we do with the RHS is trying to encourage that and try to inspire people to grow, if you like. We're very much part of that. We, we don't want this to be a passing trend or a, a fad that fizzles out. You know, we want to show people what they can do and keep them interested by showing what's new and unusual and trying to find things that fit in that bracket that are actually doable for the home gardener. You know, a lot of what we do is like offers me a professional challenge because it is quite tricky to grow some of it. It's tenderest from you know, hot tropical parts of the world, but we do do turn up the odd thing that you think, yeah, this is I've never heard of this, but there's absolutely no reason why people at home couldn't grow it. And I think people have switched on by the taste. I think the more people that have a go at growing their own, they know that it gives you that flavour that can't be replicated from shop bought and I think that's the big turn on for people I think and that's where using it making that link with the kitchen and getting people to try the end produce is uh that's the bit that excites people I think the best tip I can give for any anyone who wanted to do veg gardening is uh look after your soil uh, if you want a, a healthy productive garden then think soil up and that's not the backbone of organic gardening really you, Feed your soil, plenty of uh, compost or manure dug in, or if you want to go down the no-dig route of uh, just mulching on top, doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're getting organic matter in the ground, that'll help plants grow away quickly, nice and healthy, be less stressed, they can find water easier. doesn't matter whether you've got a big allotment or massive garden like ours or a tiny little veg trug at home or even a window box, keeping your compost or in, and soil in good health is number one importance, I think. Just today in the garden, I've been harvesting sort of pumpkins and squashes, and then I suppose going more into the late autumn over winter, the main areas of harvest are sort of South American root crops, 
to have done things in the past with dahlias before. That's always a big one in the veg garden. People ask why you're growing dahlias in the veg garden. You can eat the roots. Sweet potatoes is another one we grow well at Hyde Hall. We always seem to have a good crop of sweet potatoes. As we get into the new year, things like skirret might be lifting, which is like a parsnip relative. Uh, might be one I might uh, might push on James to start using. It was popular a couple of hundred years ago, falling out of favour now. Then bog standard stuff, you know, we have carrots and leeks coming out of the garden. When Matt starts pulling all of that out of the ground, the, the weather's dropped and, and people are looking more for a, a hearty stew or a nice pie. We've used the sweet potato from the garden in the past for a nice Malaysian sweet potato curry. I've made dahlia crisps before with the root of the dahlia. Me and my team are very, very lucky. I think it's uh, every chef's dream to be able to have that sort of produce on site and to hand. We're very grateful for Matt and his team. You can find links to recipe cards from Hyde Hall's restaurant, along with more information about all aspects of growing your own edibles, on our podcast page. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. So when people tend to talk about autumn colour in the garden, they focus on the changing shades of leaves, of the trees and shrubs. But actually, there are many fabulous late-season flowers that we can enjoy too. At RHS Wisley, the garden teams have worked to create two stunning equinox borders. These have been designed to celebrate the changing seasons of spring and autumn. The borders are reaching their peak right now and they're full of inspiration for different planting combinations. My name is Verity Bradbury. I'm the team leader for the Herbaceous Ornamental Team at RHS Garden Wisley. So one of the bits looking fantastic on our areas at the moment is the equinox borders they're on seven acres and so you'll see them now as you come out of our new welcome building they're sort of right in front of you they are designed for spring interests and autumn interests hence the name equinox borders and they're just starting to look really good now even at the beginning of september for their autumn peak so seven acres is just an area of the garden it's got two lakes on it and it's where our Wisley flower show is held it's where a lot of our other events are held and it's the area that you come out to now say as you come out of our new welcome building lots of grass also lots of borders with shrubs trees interesting herbaceous perennials as well so for the autumn hits we have a lot of asters as they were once known they are now known as symphotrichums um so we've got a couple of those so they are nice herbaceous perennials um they range in size you can get little ones you can get medium height ones and you can get taller ones nice little sort of daisy like flowers in a range of colors so one of my favorites which i saw this morning out there is helen picton is the cultivar that's a mid-height one and has a lovely dark purple flower we also have one out there called lady in black which is another favorite of mine has like a dark almost purpley foliage which contrasts beautifully with much smaller than normal uh, flowers for an aster they're like lots of clusters of white flowers all over it and that's a really really nice one obviously summer's great and you have that real build up and uh, late summer and everything looks really really nice but then of course things start to go over and so if you want to extend the season it's a great place to come and look at what you can plant we've also got nifophias in there uh, red hot pokers is their common name Euonymus as well, uh, large shrubs, small trees, also great for autumn foliage colour and they also then move on to nice fruits uh, that then open. They have nice pink fruit casing, then 
releases like an orange seed which hangs below the pink and it just looks really beautiful contrasting colours so uh, Euonymus really nice as well I'm trying to think what else we've got in there we've got some Hesperanthus as well um, again a nice perennial which can be divided and just they come in a range of colours white, pink, red add a bit of autumn colours and then we also have a new addition to those beds we put in some winter flowering clematis so we're extending the season even further to link in with the rest of our winter walk which we have on seven acres because we originally didn't have any winter in the equinox beds and we thought it was missing out so we added some winter flowering clematis which we have dotted through on obelisks and we have several different cultivars we have one called clematis serosa lansdowne gem which is very nice we also have clematis serosa wisley cream of course i have to have one with wisley in the title and then one of my favorites is clematis europhila uh, winter beauty which is really really nice and that has just a lovely little creamy bell shape flower um, yeah just beautiful in terms of uh, looking forward to the year ahead we will be looking at planting so obviously autumn is a great time for planting hopefully we will get a bit of rain before we actually start planting um, it's currently still a bit too dry so we will probably look at starting planting in October time we will also be starting to do our cutback of herbaceous perennials so a lot of herbaceous perennials they're deciduous so they go brown and they go dormant over the winter so we'll be cutting back anything as it starts to go over cutting that back to ground level uh, putting that in the compost and so then that comes round next year and goes on the garden so we'll be doing that also a great time for division in the autumn so obviously your herbaceous perennials as well where you can make more for next year so uh, we'll be looking at doing division of some perennials as well that's great for things like asters you can divide those and get more like that also things like hostas persicarias any sort of herbaceous perennials you can use it with a spade or a couple of back-to-back -back forks and if you do it now also a great time to replant them because of course there'll be that moisture in the soil well, you could pot them up as well so you could pot them up here sometimes what we do if we can't plant them straight away we'll send them to our propagation department we're very lucky to have that here they will then look after them for us in pots and that's also a good way if you don't want to put them in straight away put them in pots bulk them up get them a little bit bigger before you actually put them back in the ground so it's not a bad thing easier also to control the watering a little bit when they're in pots so yeah you could keep them in pots until you're ready to put them in the ground so i think just going into winter although we've still got obviously autumn to come i would just encourage people to come and see our winter walk which we we have on seven acres that runs from the beginning of december until the end of march it's been going since 2013 um, it's really establishing now we prepare for it by mulching around and making it all look smart so do come and have a look at all our, our hard work and efforts and uh, let us know what you think so we hope you enjoy it verity bradbury And finally, slugs. Scientists in the RHS entomology department are currently engaged in a major new survey to study the cellar slug, and they need your help. Slugs are considered by most gardeners as public enemy number one, but can they actually be beneficial too? We spoke to study leader Imogen Cavadino to learn more. So we actually don't know a lot about slugs and snails in gardens. We know there's over 40 species of slugs in the UK and there's over 99 species of snail but only about nine of the slug species are considered major pests. The rest either we just don't know enough about them because they're relatively new to Britain or to science even 
or they have quite specialised diets, or they just eat things like rotting plant materials. So they actually could potentially be quite beneficial to gardens. Um, we're particularly interested in two species of these beneficial slugs, known as the cellar slugs. So there's two different species of cellar slug. One of them arrived in Britain probably around 1600, so it's considered relatively native to the UK now, or at least naturalised, so it's been here a very long time. This is known as the yellow cellar slug. In historic literature, it was quite strongly associated with old houses and buildings. But unfortunately, during the past 30 or 40 years, we've started noticing there's been less and less reports of this species. What happened during this time was a second very similar looking species arrived in Britain, probably around the late 1960s, known as the green cellar slug. Supervisually looks very similar on the outside, but what sets them apart is the yellow cellar slug has this unbroken line along the centre of its back. So what seems to be happening is the green cellar slug is spreading really rapidly throughout the UK and replacing the yellow cellar slug completely. This is probably partly through the fact that they can hybridise, which means they can mate. And when they do mate together, the offspring tends to be the green cellar slug. So the yellow one's kind of being almost bred out of existence. There could be some other factors going on. So it could be things like people renovating their houses, making them less slug friendly, which is great for us as humans. But for this species that might be associated with houses, it's not good news at all. Or it could also be different things like we've changed the way we garden and we've changed what we're doing in gardens and what we're actually growing. Things like that could be having an effect as well. So we're trying to get people out there looking in their gardens to see which of these two species they have if they have either or any of them it's really interesting information for us to know but also to find out more about the gardens they're actually found in so that we can try and link where these species are to what is actually happening in our gardens and what people are doing in gardens so what you can actually do is go out at night with a torch and take a look see if you've got any of these species crawling around at night. What's unusual about these two species, um, they're very nocturnal, which means they're only usually active after dark. So it's best to actually go out at night with a torch. You might actually find them in the daytime around things like compost bins or heaps because they kind of love that dark, damp environment. But also because they only eat rotting plant material, this is also the ideal place for them to be. They also feed on things like mould, fungi and algae. So they really love kind of anywhere with rotting material or fungi or algae growing. If you do see them, we ask you to take a photograph. It's very important to be able to see that because it's quite difficult to tell the two species apart if you're not familiar with them. There is an ID guide available online. So if you look at rhs.org.uk forward slash slug survey, it's got all the information there, including an identification guide. Um, you can submit then your information online via the website and that will include us asking questions about your garden. So how big it is, what kind of things you have in your garden, whether you have a lot of lawn, a lot of flower beds, things like that, just to try and get a better picture of the different places that they are actually living. And then someone will actually take a look at your record and get back to you, letting you know which species it is that you actually found. There's not a lot of people out there actually actively studying slugs. There's quite a limited number of us. So you're kind of relying on people actually looking. So in 2014, the National Museum of Wales in Cardiff, they actually did a widespread study of the whole of the UK fauna of slugs. So they went out and they surveyed and they collected slugs from all around the UK to create this new identification guide to help people identify slugs. And they realised that we had 20% more species present and established in Britain than we knew before. Some of those were brand new to science. And one of those ones new to science 
actually isn't native to the UK at all. It's probably come in from kind of the Ukraine region of Europe. We know very little about it. So it's, it's actually first known locality was here in Britain. So it's all kind of based on who's actively out there researching. So you need people to actually be out there looking at slugs, which is why we're so keen for people to go out and help us, because otherwise we just don't know what's going on with our slug fauna. You can find out details of how to identify, record and submit your observations of cellar slugs at rhs.org.uk forward slash slugs survey. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back in a fortnight. But until then, from me, Charlotte Brooks, and all the team here at the library, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.